Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Real Talk. I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this time we have a very special guest indeed. Last summer, he stole the hearts of the nation with his engineering flair for baking, and his precision and charm saw him reach the final of the world's greatest television show of all time. He is, of course, Andrew Smith. I was absolutely delighted when Andrew agreed to come on the show to talk about foams, and I started by asking him what he's been up to these days since hanging up his Bake Off apron. So, uh, yeah, one day a week, I kind of uh, do this baking engineering combo and and food festivals. But four days a week, um, my main day job is I work as a research engineer at Rolls-Royce. Uh, what that means at the moment, I look at future aircraft. So things that are 20, 25 years away, think electric aircraft, uh, things like boundary layer ingestion, which I'd, I'd urge people to go and have a look at. It's really cool. <laughs> so we're going to have maybe things on the back of the aircraft sucking in all the all the low velocity fluid around the plane. Um, very exciting things. And, uh, you know, in the future, we're probably going to have a lot more battery powered aircraft going long range. So I'm looking at the early plans of how we can fit those into a plane, what those might look like. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. I find it really interesting place to work. That's awesome. I've actually done a tour of the Derby Rolls-Royce Centre. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's quite hard to get in there. How did you manage that one? It was during my material science undergrad. We did like a, a an official visit. Uh, um, okay. And yeah, we got a whole tour of like, we saw the people making the turbine blades. All, and... all wax cast by yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's incredible. So that's four days a week. Yes. Yeah. And then the other day is uh, just a bit of a juggle. I mean, I do some pure food stuff. I do some things that are pure um, sciencey. So I do a lot of um, STEM outreach activities. So I, I talk to groups of kids about how I got into engineering. I'm just keen to kind of break uh, the stereotype of what an engineer looks like because a lot of people think we just are behind a computer all day, just, you know, hunkered away kind of in a darkened room. But I mean, we've all got personalities. We all have interests outside of engineering. Some as well. of us do. Well, well, I think all of us do. <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of us don't like to talk about it, but I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find an engineer that only likes engineering and nothing else. And I think we need to celebrate that a bit more. So I'm bringing my unique brand of baking and engineering to the table. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get into TV as well, just on the side. That's awesome. So, okay, what's an example then of how baking applies to engineering? A lot of my success on Bake Off, I'd say, would be to the skill set that's shared. So things like uh, being precise, planning, having really good spatial awareness, especially when you're building things out of bakes. It sounds a bit silly, Mm -hmm. but actually there are a surprising amount of overlaps. What I do more now is is using baking to illustrate really interesting engineering principles because food is something, it's a common language, everybody knows it. So uh, I do things like I, I make a caramel bridge and then I reinforce it with strawberry lace to show why we have reinforced concrete and why we can make these incredible spans out of a material that's so brittle. Um, by using some clever engineering principles and people love it because they get to eat the demos at the end. I have a question about Bake Off. Okay, so you were saying that like the engineering approach is actually really helpful in baking. I was wondering how much of that was like the edit or the producers are like encouraging you to do more and more engineering in it because that was your sort of brand, your thing. Or did you bring all of that to the table? I think I brought a mix of things. I think they love that, especially because they hadn't had a real engineer character i think they had some engineers on before but not anyone who'd tried to channel their engineer through their baking as much as i had Mm -hmm. so they definitely showed my engineering highlights on the show but everything i did you know i did measure my butter i did do some plans for my gingerbread bridge and Mm -hmm. i had all my little templates cut out and all planned i had a, 
a spreadsheet and a Gantt chart for the final to manage my time. So, Incredible. you know, I did all those engineering things. And um, the pie gears, lest we forget. Oh, of course, the, the Game <laughs> of Thrones-esque pie gears, which were arguably my my legacy on the programme. <laughs> um, I recreated them. I, I was up at the Maker Fair in Newcastle and... Uh, I was asked to recreate them and I, was, I got all these flashbacks from the programme, having to make them. With only, I had an evening, but it felt like so little time. But yeah, th- those were my, my legacy from the programme. My rotating pies, of course. But did you have any engineering lowlights that, that didn't make the final cut? Engineering lowlights? Um, I'd say my three-tier cake in Floral Week, which was just an unmitigated disaster on all fronts. <laughs> Flavour, structure... I, it, it was just terrible. I, maybe it's because I didn't use any engineering in that. I was just so... I'd never made a tiered cake before. You see, a lot of people were surprised. Mm-hmm. But I just don't do tiered cakes. I find them a massive bath. Why I, would you? I, well, exactly. You know, cakes there to be eaten, not to be... Well, I, I say that. I mean, I did make <laughs> pies out of... Gears, gears out of pies. So, a li- you, you know, I need, I need to check myself there. But... You know, wedding cakes and tiered cakes are just not what I do. I'm not a cake decorator. I love making engineering things, but mm-hmm. I'm not a sculptor. So I think I just panicked a bit with that. And uh, maybe if I had just stepped back, tried to do something more creative, I would have done a bit better. But I barely scraped through that week. Very lucky. Well, you made it to the final, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a fantastic experience. And I'm just so grateful. I got to experience all 10 weeks of it. And it mm-hmm. was an absolute whirlwind. It's like nothing else I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, and a real, a real intro to knowing how to be comfortable in front of a camera, uh, managing your time. Because I was working five days a week. You know, I've got four days now and I struggled for mm. things. But I had five days a week I was working and I was just practice, practice, practice. Every evening, every weekend day, if I had a spare day, um, would just be baking. I mean, my poor housemates were absolutely beside themselves because I just took over the kitchen for 10 weeks. Slash incredibly lucky housemates so they get to, you know, try Everybody says that. They they would describe it differently. They'd say mm. it was a mixed blessing. <laughs> if I was being politically correct, they'd say, yeah, they got to try stuff, but the other kind of, if that was half an hour in an evening, the other four hours were me <laughs> stressing out and covering everything in icing sugar and doing a pretty poor job of clearing up. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anyway, we've spoken long enough about Bake Off. Um, I've asked you on here today to talk about foams. Yes, we love um, a foam. Which is not unrelated to baking, as I think we'll talk about later. But I wanted to ask you, what is it about your day job and baking that is particularly relevant to foams? So I think I only really realised this recently, that one of the main things that is kind of really useful for space structures, especially, and what I do in baking is foams. So when it comes to uh, baking, cakes are just an edible type of foam. It's a suspension of bubbles in a structure that makes it nice and spongy, cuts through nicely. It's not too solid, but it has a structure to it that can hold together. Uh, And also increasingly in space structures, and we use them in aerospace um, a bit as well, just in planes as well as um, satellites, these kind of uh, porous or honeycomb structures are used because of their amazing strength weight properties. Um, uh, so you know, we don't have a Victoria sponge supporting anything on the space station, but the same principle, I think, applies to both. Um, obviously, we enjoy them for different reasons. We enjoy the edible pleasure of the sponge <laughs> as well as its admirable mechanical properties. <laughs> Which then relates then to stacking tiers of cakes as well. Exactly. Right. Well, that's why um, especially... And you can go two ways with a foam. You can go for one that is very, very, uh, very, very light and has large air pockets. Something maybe like a Victoria sponge or a Genoese would mm. be a classic example of that. But those don't stack well. So they're very light, but they are not as good at holding the weight. Whereas if you have something like a fruit cake, where very, very small air bubbles, mm. if anybody's had a, a doorstop wedge, a fruit cake, <laughs> a wedding cake, you'll know how dense it is. You almost don't need any additional structure in the cake at all it can support itself so it's all about that trade-off which i guess that's why i love engineering everything's a trade-off there's no one answer for anything you've got to give and take Mm -hmm. right well let's let's rewind a little bit okay and i've gone too far not (laughs) waxing lyrical about foams (laughs) not not far enough in fact let's step back a bit and define exactly what a foam is okay we can do this we'll do it together (laughs) so a foam is a solid or a liquid Yes, yes, actually. I'd say it's, I guess it's air or, or gas that is trapped in an other state of matter. In another thing. Would, would that be fair? So maybe yeah. you could have a plasma foam. That's quite exciting. If you, <laughs> if you have, well, you have yeah. bubbles in a solid and something like a sponge in kind of foam that you'd be doing your dishes mm-hmm. uh, with washing up liquid, that would be kind of suspended in a liquid form. Um, I guess 
significantly lighter than solid foam. But yeah, maybe maybe we could have a plasma foam as well. That would be cool. Could you have a gas foam? Or is that silly? I don't, I don't know what a gas foam would be because air suspended in air is just air, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I'm bring that to a science fair near you. Here's my air foam featuring air. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, if you had, because actually I'm thinking if you had a solid which had little bubbles of liquid in it would that be a foam Ooh. i'm not sure it is because it's still quite heavy because the densities of a solid and a, a, a solid and a liquid are quite similar whereas it's a real step change when you go to a, a, a gaseous state mm. in terms of the densities which this is where you get the benefits of the foam fr foam from yeah although i'm thinking of an example of a foam which is a sponge that doesn't stop being a foam this is too technical doesn't stop being a foam when it has liquid to replace its the gas in its pores, right? Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The sponge that you use in your sink at home. Mm. Mm. That's a good point. <laughs> so, yes, what is... But I guess the interesting thing is there that all those little gaps, those air gaps in the foam are linked together, which enables it to soak up. I guess what I had in my mind's eye was individual little air pockets, which don't join together mm. so is, the, is there a do we need to define that are there two types of foams there are t i'm glad you asked oh, there are two <laughs> incredible it's, it's almost like we planned this <laughs> there are two types of foams open cell and closed cell so you were talking about open cell foam which is where the gas pockets are all interconnected so an example of that would be like a kitchen sponge um i think well definitely a lemon drizzle because the whole point is that the drizzle. Yeah, I, I'm thinking bread. If you the way you describe that with open holes, I'm thinking mm -hmm. something like a bread where you cut o cut it open and you can almost see these little tunnels right. going through that link different yeah, bits. Exactly. And that's probably why it's so good at absorbing mm -hmm. you know, dips and things. There you go. So maybe oh, I've got that's a connection, it. like that's a engineering it. connections <laughs> over here. Okay, uh, so that's yeah, an open foam. That's an open cell uh, an open cell foam. Open cell. And a closed cell foam is one which doesn't have interconnected pores. Okay. So closed cell would be something like, um, I'm thinking maybe something like a shortbread or a, well, maybe not something as heavy mm. as that. Maybe a, because I'm thinking if you, if you have a Victoria sponge, you've got those little, you've got little air bubbles in it, but you don't have, it's not the same as a, a sardo, say, mm. where you can see all the tunnels going all the way through. So maybe that's more an example of a closed cell. Or maybe, thing. maybe like a meringue or something like that. Or, I mean, definitely an aero bar. Because you can see the... Yeah, the that's a really models. good example, actually. Other brands are available. <laughs> <laughs> I've been BBC trained. So BBC. <laughs> My foamy chocolate bar of choice. <laughs> yeah, because I suppose when you cut through that, you see quite uniform bubbles mm. that don't link together. Yep. I wonder okay. how they make arrows and other bubbly chocolates. You know, I'm glad you've... We haven't planned this, but I've actually seen one. Be, well, I'm going to a chocolate factory in a couple of weeks. But a while ago, I saw someone make an aero bar. Uh, it was a guy called Stefan Gates. Have you heard of him? He's yes, called the gas yeah. He made an aero bar on stage. So because chocolate in the right condition sets quite quickly, uh, I think what he did was he was able to use a vacuum punk. Vacuum punk. <laughs> Not a vacuum punk, although that sounds like a great fancy dress idea um, or a way to dress up your Henry the Hoover. A vacuum pump. And he was able to um, kind of precipitate out bubbles. And I think he also used like a foaming uh, gun. So, you know, if you went into a coffee shop and they put kind of the cream on top of your hot mm -hmm. chocolate, they have that kind of almost looks like a weapon thing that puts like the foam on. Compressed air. Yeah, compressed it, yeah. air. And I think he used that to foam the chocolate. And then okay. you put it in a vacuum bag, which maintains a negative pressure around the outside so it doesn't collapse mm, on itself okay. and then you set it like that and then you're able to take it out of the bag and you have a you have a neat metal that's ne a neat chocolate foam pretty advanced i think it's quite advanced. i think it's tricky to make because foams like to collapse especially in liquid mm. format i mean i'm sure if you, see, if you have a sink at home if you leave a bowl of bubbles there if you come back an hour later they will have all gone mm -hmm. so it's quite unstable unless you set it yep. so i think that's what the vacuum's there to do Okay, so we've defined our foams. We've got open cell and closed cell. And we've also touched a bit there on processing methods and making foams. Um, do you know if there are any other kinds of processing methods apart from using this kind of vacuuming methods? I think in terms of what we do a bit in engineering, uh, 3D printing or additive layer manufacturing is a very new way that we're able to make 
films um because i'm sure everybody's heard about 3d printing now it, it's flavor of the month we've now called it additive layer manufacturing to give it a certain je ne sais quoi mm-hmm. um but we, we can do it with metals now you can actually 3d print with sugar uh, which i was amazed by um i've got i've got a picture i'll tweet out as well uh, of some 3d printed sugar cubes so the world is our oyster when it comes to 3D printed additive layer manufacturing. So foams, I think you could do by that way. Uh, in terms of other ways to make it, I think it depends on if you want that open cell or closed cell. Depends what you want to do. I think an open cell is arguably easier to make. Uh, I know of I know of one case in the US where they made uh, an open cell foam where it was effectively just molten aluminium. They force air into it. And then they basically just wait until it sets. Mm-hmm. And when you slice through it, it looks like it looks like a loaf. It's quite chaotic. Um, the other way is just putting little hollow spheres into some molten aluminium. So you've got all these little hollow balls. They set. And if you imagine taking a slice through it, it would look as if it just had these uniform little holes. So you have a lot more control over the structure. Mm-hmm. I think that's more important if you're using it in a critical application, like in space or something. Interesting. I can think of one other and that is actually really relevant to baking, which is when you have you put an ingredient in there that is a gas releaser and then you change something like you heat it up and then that material decomposes and it releases gas bubbles sort of inside the molten material. Yes. Which is exactly what we do with baking powder. Exactly. Well, yeah, baking powder. And also a great example of that in terms of not having to wait for a cake to bake. Honeycomb. If you make honeycomb or um, oh, what's the other name for it? That's another name. You know what I mean? The honeycomb that you get in a crunchy bar. I another, thought that was honeycomb. Honeycomb. Well, so, no. uh, well, so you, you can cut this bit. Probably People call honeycomb, st- when people say a honeycomb structure, they think of a beehive. Uh, and you think right. of those little hexagons. Whereas actually, if you look at honeycomb that we say in baking mm-hmm. that you have in a crunchy bar, it, there's no hexagons at all. No. It's a porous structure. So I usually, when I'm talking about it, I, I do a little demo with some honeycomb. I'm very clear that that's a honeycomb structure. And what we call an engineering honeycomb structure is those tessellating hexagons like you'd see in a beehive, yep. which has its own admirable properties, but isn't as great as the porous structures. <laughs> but um, if, if you're making the baking honeycomb, which is just a porous caramel, you add bicarbonate of soda right. to a mix of caramel, golden syrup, that then reacts in the heat and, as you say, gives off those air bubbles. And because caramel sets so quickly, even though you do get a little bit of settling in the middle, you end up with this gorgeous... Uh, hollow structure that you know great in ice cream all sorts you know so i'll put a recipe on the website <laughs> <laughs> you're so good at plugging <laughs> plug 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 <laughs> gotta got plug when you can always be selling um actually i've thought of another example of how to make a foam and okay. it's a very extreme type of foam love an extreme an, foam an aerogel ah aerogels for the listeners are materials that are pretty much 99 percent air the first one was made out of silica and it was actually made by i think Oh, no, I'm going to say this wrong. Need to check this. Hello, this is Anna from the future. Aerogel was first created by Samuel Kistler in 1931 as a result of a bet with a colleague over who could replace the liquid in jellies with a gas without causing shrinkage. They did it by a process called supercritical drying. This involves replacing the water in a gel with liquid carbon dioxide and then increasing the temperature and pressure to evaporate off the carbon dioxide which leaves behind the solid components of the silica gel. If I've got this right, you replace all that water with something else in a liquid state that yes. is then easy to bring to a gaseous state and you're left with aerogel. Exactly. Amazing. Um, and in the original paper, they didn't just do it with silicon, but silica, but they did it with all sorts of materials, including egg whites. Hello. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> How can I recreate this at home or do I need some really exotic tooling? So I've looked into this, actually, um, and you do need a supercritical dryer. Well, you know, I can I can ask for that for Christmas. Mum's <laughs> always asking what I need for Christmas, so a supercritical dryer. How much Parents are we talking? Parents love this. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I did... You can make them, um, but you would need a supply of carbon dioxide, which is probably relatively yeah. I mean, easy to come Egg by. whites, check. Right. Uh, we've got those ones <laughs> sorted. That's the easy bit of the equation. I'm sure we can work out the carbon dioxide. They must have supercritical dryers at Rolls-Royce. I'll ask around. I'm sure. They might not like me putting egg whites in them. Wow. They've had worse in there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. So what, 
I mean, it sounds incredible. And I think I've never actually seen it in the flesh, but I've mm. seen demonstrations of it. And it's phenomenally light, isn't it? Like nothing you've ever seen before. Have you ever seen it in the I flesh? Have, I have seen it in the flesh. Yeah, it's it's kind of translucent. Like it's very, very strange. It's not good to get it on your fingers because it's very desiccating. It kind of wicks all the moisture away from your from your skin. Um, but yeah, it's it's very strange stuff. And so how, how light is it? Is, I mean, could you hold a car-sized object of it in your hands? or is it... That's a great question. Let's look that up. Hello, this is Anna from the future. I'm going to spare you the 10 minutes of us trying to work out a good aerogel comparison for you. I mean, I, I say us. It was mainly Andrew because I just sat eating chocolate, orange, vegan energy balls while he was doing the calculations. Let's just jump back into the conversation where we blithely drop our aerogel comparison facts in later on like we knew it all along. So aerogels are about 99.8% air, uh, which means that it's just incredibly light. It's one of the lightest solids that we know. Um, and this has so many cool applications. Um, I think the first application that they found for it was um, in the NASA Stardust mission, and they used it to capture stardust. Oh, right. wow. Maybe it's not actually stardust. What they did is they used it to capture like very small particles in space. Um, so they literally stuck it out the side of this um, spacecraft. And essentially like a tennis racket would like sweep the sky, not the sky, sweep the space um, and captured all these little tiny particles. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And th I suppose you could have a massive array of it. I mean, how, how, how light are we talking? Because I'm, I'm assuming you could have a massive area of that at not very much weight. I mean... If we had a car made out of aerogel, mm. how much in terms of back of the envelope calculation, what would that be? Like, if that would be like similar to a person, would that be a person's weight out of aerogel? Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. That was a really underwhelming weight. For me. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it well, it would be a person because I've done the calculation. <laughs> Here I am and doing my really quick yeah, calculation. Back of the envelope. So I I, mm. re I reckon um, based on those densities, you mm -hmm. could get a car. That would weigh ninety kilos. Or the weight, so the weight of a of a median person. So you, you could definitely pick up a car if it was made of aerogel. Yeah, like the average person could pick up another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could give a car a piggyback. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, incredible. That's that's where foams can take you. So is is that mm. a foam? I guess that is still a foam, just with very very small air pockets. It's definitely a foam by our incredibly stringent definition. <laughs> We've been very very stringent with our definitions here. Um, okay, right. So that was one one example of how aerogel is used in aerospace. What examples of foams do you see used um, at Rolls-Royce? So we see it a lot, uh, not so much necessarily in the engine. We do use uh, something that's a bit like a foam. It's kind of a crossover of a honeycomb and a foam in the intake of the engine. Obviously, you want to avoid noise that's coming off the fan. So we have these little devices called Helmholtz resonators, mm -hmm. uh, which you have in the intake. And they're basically little tiny perforations, which lead to a uh, mostly hexagonal, but I think it's got some porous structure to help absorb the sound at the bottom. And that basically means as the sound pressure wave passes it, it changes that pressure into a little high speed jet going through the gap, which dissipates the energy and helps decrease the noise. So we have the lining of the inlet. If you look, if you're ever walking onto a plane, don't climb into it or they might think you're up to something. But if you ever get a chance to look at the inlet uh, to a jet engine installed in an aircraft, you'll see lots of tiny little perforations and that's all to reduce the noise. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, are there any other examples? I know foams are used a lot in terms of um, insulation. Um, yes, sort of I mean, it's got some, because it's got so much air in it, and obviously air is a great insulator. That's why we have double glazing with two panes separated uh, by an air layer. Uh, it's got great insulation properties. So uh, in your house, uh, you probably, I, I think it's a foam, <laughs> judging by our definition. Uh, if you look in your attic, you're going to have a foam uh, on the bottom of the attic mm -hmm. um, to help insulation properties. Uh, we would use it, um, it's actually used in between the outside skin of the fuselage on an aircraft and where you're sitting inside uh, packed in between will be loads of foaming to help keep all that warmth in and actually a lot interest this is an interesting fact i saw recently a lot of aircraft don't actually heat the inside of the plane believe it or not even though it's minus 50 outside the insulation is so good and the amount of heat given off by human bodies mm -hmm. is enough to often keep the cabin at a pleasant temperature so you've got air coming in um, that's conditioned obviously um, but there's no you'd think you might need it's the equivalent of being 
you know, in the middle of the Arctic, you reckon you might need a radiator, but apparently not at all or very rarely. That's very interesting. Great fact. Because um, it's, it's the same level of insulation. Um, you know, I'm going to get fired. It's the same level of insulation as a caravan, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, a caravan has a similar <laughs> amount of insulation to an aircraft. Oh, yeah. So if you were alone in an aircraft and there was no aircon, it would obviously be very cold. Yeah. But because there's so many people and you've got the airflow going through, it keeps it very habitable. You've been on a flight where there's very few people. And it feels colder. If you, if you have been on a flight, mm. I haven't been on a long haul. I've been on some f- smaller flights. And I, I think sometimes there may be you no know, kick on, kick the aircon <laughs> into, into turbo <laughs> to try and compensate. But I mean, it effectively is caravan levels of insulation, obviously significantly stronger. Mm. If we're thinking of it from a thermal heat transfer point of view, yeah. um, it, you know, it's, it's not that much more advanced. Now, I'm not saying you should try and get your caravan to fly if you've got a caravan at home or it's going to be suitable for a high altitude <laughs> campaign. I don't endorse that for a second. Yeah, I need to are, indemnify myself there. There are some other subsidiary engineering things that need to be done to a caravan before it can fly. Oh, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> um, let's play a game of spot all the foams in the room. OK, so I'm looking around. I can see we've got a wall which looks as if it's fairly... Let, let me give it a... OK. I, I yep. think it kind of feels... It could, it's almost like a... It's almost feel, it feels like a pipe cleaner type material. It's kind of a bit velvety. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that's a foam. It's kind of like velour. But I'm just, as I lean back and I feel myself sink into my seat, I spy a there foam. Yep. There's a foam under my bottom, behind yep. my back, on the seat here. I think we've got a foam on the table, actually. A very thin layer of it. Yep. Oh, that might be. That might just be material. Beneath the carpet. It's got uh, a little we bit. are speaking into plastic foam. Yes, of course. But if, I, if I give it a little... You can hear it there. there all those... All the surfaces moving over each other. It looks like quite a nice little foam by the looks of it. Quite a neat little one. Um, mm. But uh, no, why Why is that a foam? That's my question to you, Anna. Why Ooh. Why is the microphone uh, a foam? Right. And, uh, ob- okay, so obviously it can't be a solid. Because it would Cause it stop hear anything. Yeah. But why is it a foam rather than little channels? So I think the purpose of, well, the purpose of this is to stop pops when you say p and b yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so what you're i think what you're doing there is you're creating like a kind of um a really fast bit of air from your lips to the microphone and that's what causes like the kind of banging sound um so this foam is trying to slow down that air um and foams are really good at like absorbing sound is that right yeah foams are really good at absorbing and um like just mechanical things so either like Physical mechanical energy or mechanical energy in the form of sound waves. I think they're good dissipators. I think that's what I'd say. They're good at dissipating extremes. Yeah. So, and I think think that that is because they actually convert the mechanical energy into heat energy. So my microphone's hot right now. (laughs) That that is exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, I guess the energy's got to go somewhere. Mm. I think also, because I've seen... um, Sometimes, <clears throat> I know they've all got foams underneath, but sometimes you'll see news reporters will have a massive fluffy thing <laughs> on their mic, um, which I think is foam underneath. I think that's because if you have a wind mm. um, loading, that's kind of, you know, wind is a noise yeah. and it's basically just air coming in a certain direction. And if you're able to kind of um, baffle that yeah. and, and stop that from getting to the microphone, it reduces that noise. So it's only taking the direct dulcet tones from my voice right. and not any, not any. So I, if I blow into the microphone now, Okay, maybe from further away. In fact, do you, we could do it with... Do these come off? Yeah. How do you take them off? Or is that a bad idea? Oh, no, just pull it off. Just... Okay, so I'm going to do... I'm going to do a little test here. Okay, <laughs> okay. so I'm going to... From the same distance, I'm going to blow honestly with the same amount, with and without the baffler. Let's see if we notice a difference. Okay, okay. So here's with. Here's without. You can that see is incredible. That is, that's an amazing difference, isn't it? Because that's a really harsh... Yeah. So back on. And then off. And I'm actually blowing a lot lighter there. To really? Nicer to talk to. Amazing. There we go. Foams. Science in action. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, oh, I just thought of something that I was going to say, but now I've forgotten it with all that fun experimentation. Um, okay. I'm going to give you my bread fact. I'm ready. I'm running this gun, gun, running this past you. Some people have called me Rolls Royce's head of bread. Really? Yeah, that's my who, unofficial title. Who called you that? So, uh, <laughs> someone introduced me on stage once. It's kind of stuck. Adorable. Um, okay, bread dough before it's baked. Okay. I don't know. I'm defining that to you. Obviously, you know that. It's all right. I'm I'm nodding here. I'm doing it myself. I'm nodding. Bread dough. I'm with you. Right. Um, is a closed cell phone. Okay, I can believe that. Yep. I presume this means after it's proved. Yes, I think probably the you don't really have air bubbles till the yeast starts to act. So I'd say yeah, after yeah. you prove, yeah, right. So the science of baking bread is all to do with the dynamics of open cells and closed cells in foam. Bread dough before it is baked is a closed cell foam, um, but when you bake it, then it becomes an open cell foam. But if you bake it too quickly, then the air can escape from the dough that is not yet solid and so the bread collapses yes yeah yeah that's absolutely right if you um if you go in too high that's quite sometimes it, it's similar kind of thing can happen with cakes if you bake it too quickly then it can burst mm-hmm. uh out the top and you can lose all the air that you've worked so hard to get yeah. so i mean often the, the the look of a good bread if you go to a a, a a nice bakery and they take a slice and you'll see the larger the holes the longer it's been proved for and if it's still holding together that's a really good sign because obviously the bigger the air bubble the more unstable uh, it becomes mm-hmm. so that's why when you quite often when you're making a bread have you made bread before i have oh okay. bread meister you often will prove once and then you're what's called knocking it back which is you'll often just give the dough a couple of punches you'll kind of shape it and then you leave it for a second proof that knocking back point is getting rid of the really big air bubbles which are the unstable ones so because what you really want is a uniform amount of small bubbles which are going to grow and join together in the oven rather than a couple of big bubbles at that stage which are then going to become big cavities in the bread if you don't want cavities you want to the right bubble size and that's what we search for in the perfect loaf amazing great i like i'm glad you liked my bread facts are there what other foams would you like to talk about so in terms of other foams polystyrene cups now to me to me on first if as you look at that from an outsider if you obviously we call it polystyrene foam but actually if you look at it it looks very different to a sponge you see in the kitchen i can't see any air gaps i can see there's lots of little cells that join together are we talking about really small air bubbles in that case because when you've got a polystyrene cup it doesn't just all the water doesn't leak out it's waterproof so how can we have something that's full of these air bubbles but that can actually hold a liquid so i guess what they do is they I think it is very, very small bubbles because you know there must be bubbles in there because when you squidge it, it squidges. Yeah, it, you can, you can compress it and feel yeah. it between your fingers, or um, scrape it and be one of those awful oh, people. Don't, oh, like, you, like fingers on a blackboard. Ooh. Horrible. Um, I think what they probably do is just coat the inside, or like do some sort of processing method where they make the surface of that cup impermeable to water, so there aren't actually any of the air pockets next to where the liquid is. I guess. Hi, this is Anna from the future again. Actually, it's because it's a closed cell phone. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because, mm. I mean, maybe maybe we've got foams all around us. Maybe they're kind of like spies in our midst. <laughs> if you look closer, I guess <clears throat> anything that's not a pure solid is then classified as a foam. Almost anything that's not without air throughout its... When, when does it not become a foam? Oh, this is getting philosophical. Yeah, I mean, it's getting very... Because <laughs> obviously a solid lump of metal is not a foam but anything which has any kind of distribution of air or is lighter than the pure form of itself with then, then might be, with air in it with air in it yeah might become a foam hmm. of course yeah i guess that so okay here's a question if you had a solid block of metal and there was one air bubble in it would that be a foam 
That is, oh, oh. Good thing, does that mean I become a foam if I have a bubble in my stomach? Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't define myself as a foam. <laughs> I, maybe we have to, maybe we have to put some restriction on. I think it needs to be some, there needs to be some kind of uniformity. I don't think you can have one-offs. I think mm-hmm. it needs to be, if you took, uh, you know, a slice through any bit of your structure, you would see similar properties. So with something where we had a big lump of metal with one bubble, obviously if we took a slice, it could be totally solid. So I think there needs to be some kind of repeatability or some pattern in there, even if it's chaotic, mm-hmm. for us to for it, for it to join the foam club. Because, you know, we don't want to let anyone in. Yeah, we've we got, can't just We've got to be stringent. In. We've got tough standards here. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer. I was, I was going to say something to do with, like, the proportion of it that is air compared to the other stuff be it liquid or solid yeah um but i think your answer is better but i i I guess a foam is majority air if you if you think of it as a proportion if you think about it on the microscopic level if you think of something like a sponge in your kitchen if you took the pure plastic the sponge was made of and cast it into a solid it would be much smaller than half Mm -hmm. the size of the sponge so they were talking about in terms of volume it's the majority of that space is occupied by air and I think if you looked at something like a polystyrene cup, if you, you know, maybe melted it down, perhaps don't mm-hmm. try this at home. I think it would be less than half a cup's worth of kind of solid plastic resin you get at the end. Yep. So I think there's something to do with proportion and something to do with the pattern and mm. the repeatability of it. Yeah, I think our definition of foam is getting quite good. I think we're becoming foam <laughs> experts and I think the listeners at home are slowly becoming foam aficionados as well. <laughs> we can all be fans of foam. Yay. Um Right. There's some other foams in food that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. Um, in my list is bread, whipped cream, meringue, mousse, souffle, marshmallow and cake. I think when it comes to foods, we introduce the foaming element because if you had something like a meringue, eating egg whites in their solid form isn't that pleasant. So it's all about getting a pleasant texture when you bite into it. Um, I think I think it's three things. I think it's when you bite into it to help give you a certain texture. Uh kind of mouth feel if you've got bubbles it's kind of like if you have an arrow that's a really pleasing sensation on your tongue as it melts and probably also to do with the fact that you have an increased surface area so maybe it mm. affects your taste receptors as well potentially um because if, if you've looked at the raw ingredients of a meringue if you mix them together and don't get that foamy element it's not very tasty but it's transformed into these billowy peaks by the introduction of air so i think across across the field the introduction of air um, giving you flavour and texture is a common element, even though it does it in different ways. You know, in bread, it's done by yeast and the proving process. In cakes, it's by uh, a leavening agent, uh, either by whisking eggs together or by baking powder, bicarbonate of soda. And then when it comes to meringues, that's just pure air that's trapped by the egg proteins when you whip it up. And it's the same thing in whipped cream as well, uh, where you kind of you surround... Uh, little air bubbles with with fat to kind of hold it in a stable formation so i think it's it's just so that we can enjoy it at home you know foams make life more tasty they do they really do i wonder whether the taste thing is if you had a closed cell foam would that would the air inside there contain like the smell or the flavors of the material and then when you break those open, would that enhance the flavour? Because you know how taste has a lot to do with smell receptors as well as your tongue. So, so say that if you had something you could break open, had the, the sp- well when you when you eat it, then you break break up the foam. Some Michelin star restaurants do that very thing. Some, especially, well, a slight variation on it. So I've seen some people post things online where they go for a meal and they will have a spherification, or something uh, that's maybe a glycerin or a gelatin. Uh, bowl on top of something which has been filled with a flavoured um, smoke or some ah. flavoured thing. When you lift it off, it wafts in, it infuses the food, and then gives you an extra level of uh, level of taste through That's your nostrils. Very cool. But you could do that with a foam as well. Yeah, you could do it. You could do it with a foam. Um, I think there are certain things uh, you can get kind of smoked air that you can make kind of smoky foams and things like that. Nice. Uh, I think it tends to be more molecular gastronomy than mm. weeknight dinner. Well, you never know. Push the boat out, why not? Wednesday's the new Friday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get your get your foamer out. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favourite foam? I think my favourite foam would have to be honeycomb. Mm. It's 
it, it's it's just you know my favorite film has to be something edible sure and my favorite chocolate bar growing up was crunchy oh yeah and i love making it now i love the process and when i do it now in front of a live audience as well it kind of instantly shows them how we form how, how we're able to form something with a much larger volume from a, an earlier solid so for me it's the most visceral one it's the most tasty i love it uh, arguably not the most useful but uh, it's like picking children isn't it you know who can have a favorite film they're also great <laughs> all right well just to wrap up Let's look at what the actual definition of a foam is and see if we've been... How close yeah, we've are, been. are we totally... And I promise we didn't look this up beforehand. I can honestly assure yep. that. So um, looking this up on the reliable source that is Wikipedia, uh, a foam is a substance formed by trapping pockets of gas in a liquid or solid. Uh, so it, no, it does specify gas there, interestingly. Um, solid foams can be closed cell or open cell. In a closed cell, the gas forms discrete pockets, each completely surrounded by the solid. In an open cell, they connect to each other. So bath sponge is an open cell foam uh, and a camping mat is a closed cell foam. We didn't, yeah, we no, didn't even think of things think like of mats because the way that they compress, I guess that's why it's so, it's so key for a camping mat is that if it was an open cell foam, you get on it. And it would just deflate to ground level. Right. Whereas you have to rely on those trap pockets to pressurize when yep. you sit on them yep. to then give you support. Great. So they keep us comfortable. They keep satellites safe in space, securing They're our communications. Delicious. They keep us fed. They give us interesting flavors and textures. They catch stardust. They insulate. Definitely a super material. I would say so. I think foam is really underappreciated. We need a campaign. We need a hashtag. This feels like a campaign is going to start. What shall our hashtag be? Appreciate our foams or something better than that. Foam appreciation. Foam appreciation. <laughs> fan, foam fans, maybe. That's better than mine, yeah. Sorry. Well, there must be a pun in there somewhere. Put your... Foams for you. Put your hands in the air. <laughs> I think it needs to have foam. Foams in. for you. I love that. <laughs> Foams for you. We could be a foam supplier. <laughs> yeah. New calling has commenced. Yeah. Well, I, th I think we, that's been a pretty comprehensive covering of all the types of foams in everyday life. I and think they're, you, they're, pretty yeah. they're pretty incredible materials. They are incredible materials. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for my delicious vegan energy balls. That's right. You're very welcome. Unfortunately, I didn't bring any honeycomb today. I should have brought some honeycomb snacks. Uh, I brought something solid instead, but uh, happy to always talk foam. So that was my chat with Andrew. He was an absolute dream boat. And thanks so much to him for coming on the show. So with me in the studio is our friend Karis Bradley, who's back. Hello. Thank <laughs> you for having me back again. You're very welcome. You've come with some materials questions for me. So many materials questions. These are the ones that have been keeping me up at night. I know the feeling. Okay, so on a previous occasion, you have told me that in order for a material to be a material, you think that it has to be a solid. Yes. So what do you call everything that isn't a material? Hmm. I don't know, because matter is... Yeah, I think it would be... Every, like, everything is matter... Apart from antimatter, obviously. <laughs> but I think like solids, liquids, gases are all matter. And then materials are specifically solids. Okay. So everything that isn't a material is antimatter or an antimaterial? <laughs> uh, everything that isn't a material is matter. Okay. But materials are also matter. Yep. Right. I think that's my answer. So is there it? isn't there isn't an antonym for material? No. Is that because there doesn't need to be one? Well, I guess an antonym for material is just like empty space, like a vacuum. Okay. Yeah. And then, so liquids aren't materials. But if you like, so you've got a liquid mm -hmm. and then you look a little bit closer and then it's made up of atoms. Mm -hmm. Are they solids? <laughs> No, they're atoms. <laughs> okay. So atoms... Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. <laughs> and yet you continue to do so. So Sorry. what's the difference? Why isn't an atom a solid? What's the definition of a solid? The definition of a solid is, I would say, a group of atoms that don't move around on a large scale. So a very small scale. Is that true? That's not true because some objects move. Um, 
But those are the ones where it's like, like custard and stuff, isn't it? <laughs> well, custard is a liquid, I think. Unless you stamp on it really hard. Ah, uh, yeah, then it's a superfluid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question is, what's the definition of a solid? I don't know. Should we ask the internet? Yeah. Do you cut out the bit where you... Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> Right, the definition of a solid, according to the internet, is not a liquid or a fluid. What about a gas? A gas is a fluid. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, a substance or object that is solid rather than a liquid or a fluid. This is really rubbish. What's the definition of like a liquid then? Is it a ah, substance well, that is not a fluid or a solid? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a solid. Or a um, the definition of a liquid, I think, is a... Substance that flows to fill the container that it is in. Right. Okay. But that is also true of a gas. So maybe that's the definition of a fluid. Mm. Are mm. all liquids fluids? Or are they like entirely distinct things? I think so. I would say, yeah, I reckon they are. Okay. You know, when you're like melting some cheese. Yeah. Starts off as a solid. Mm -hmm. Becomes a liquid. Yeah. At what point do you call it? And say this is no longer a solid, it's a liquid. Um, it would be to do with, obviously it's it's melting when it's going from a solid to a liquid. Um, it would be to do with, with, from cheese I'd probably say it's to do with like the viscosity of it. So when it's a liquid it can be runny. Um, so once you start seeing the cheese like flowing around and being liquidy and bubbly and that kind of thing, then that's when it's a liquid. But what if it does that in the middle before it does it on the edge and you can't see it? <laughs> then just because you can't see it, it's still <laughs> definitely a liquid. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Uh, do you have a question that I'm supposed to ask you, which is like proper? Oh, well, th this question was asked by someone else. So you could pretend to be them. I'm great at impressions. So. All right. So this question comes from Mark Hipwell on Twitter. And he asks... Just give me a second to get into character. I'm just going to get on my tracker and then I'm going to be ready. Right. What is carbon dating? Um, can you aluminum date aluminum or iron date iron? Why is Mark from the West Country? Because that is the impression that I can do. That's your go-to yeah, voice. That's the one I've got. That's fair. Okay, carbon dating is to do with... Basically, carbon atoms become radioactive in the upper atmosphere when they're bombarded with cosmic rays. This sounds ridiculous, but it actually happens. Um, and it's when cosmic rays hit oxygen atoms, they then convert into radioactive carbon atoms. Um and these radioactive carbon atoms react with oxygen to form radioactive carbon dioxide. And eventually this radioactive carbon dioxide makes its way down through the atmosphere to where we exist, or where we existed. Um, and plants like take it in with photosynthesis. And eventually it makes its way into humans and animals because they eat the plants. So all of us have a very, very, very tiny amount of this radioactive carbon dioxide inside us all the time. Um, but then when the plant or animal dies, it stops taking that carbon dioxide in. Um, and so the amount that it contains is then the same. But because radioactive carbon dioxide um, radioactively decays, the amount that you have inside a dead thing decreases over time. Um, and because we know how fast the carbon dioxide decays, when we find an object from the past, we can look at how much of that radioactive carbon dioxide is in that object how much is left and then work out when it was that it died. So you probably couldn't do iron dating or the other cool examples that were given, but with other radioactive materials, if you had the same information that you have about radioactive carbon dioxide and they were as universally found, you could also do it with that. Yeah, exactly. So the reason that, that carbon is used is because carbon is like a, an organic material, uh, an organic element. It's found in lots of like plants and animals. Um, and those are what we're sort of interested in finding generally from the past um interestingly you ask about aluminium dating and iron dating um we can only carbon date objects that contain carbon that so that's kind of limits what we can use it for but um so these tend to be like plants or animals or materials made out of them like bone or paper or textiles um but we do actually do aluminium dating 
but this is used for working out to to measure the date that a meteorite landed on Earth. So because radioactive aluminium is formed in out of space when the uh, the cosmic rays are forming it on the meteorite, um, when the meteorite comes into our atmosphere, the cosmic rays then don't hit it anymore. So again, once it comes into our atmosphere, it then stops forming this radioactive material. And so the amount of it inside the material decays. And then once we find it sometime later, we can see how much is left and work out when it stopped sort of becoming radioactive. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and actually, we do radioactive iron dating as well. And this has been used to study the age and formation of our solar system. Oh, yeah. So it's actually pretty cool. Well, that's it for this episode. Please keep sending your materials questions in to me. You can tweet me at RealTalk. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do get in touch. Let's start a campaign to get foam the super material recognition that it deserves. Use the hashtag foamsforyou or the much better hashtag, which I thought of after we stopped recording with Andrew, which was hashtag game of foams. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Real Talk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.